must authenticate to the world that we are who we say we are. And the first way that the scriptures hold out to us is you need to be a contrast. You need to not be a blend. You need to be a contrast. says that he's a debtor to those without. He is a debtor because God has given something to Paul that he intends to be given to the Greeks and the barbarians. And that something is the gospel, the news that Jesus has paid the sin debt and they can repent and believe and receive forgiveness in his name. And so God has given that to Paul. And until Paul gives that to the Greeks and barbarians, he owes it to them. In a similar way that he says to the Colossians that he is filling up the the afflictions of Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ's suffering was lacking in any way, but it does mean that Christ's suffering for the Colossians does them no good until they know about it. And so Paul owes this debt to those without, and the debt is that God has given something to the Greeks and barbarians by way of Paul, and Paul has to take it to them, and until he does take it to them, he owes them in a sense. Not quite in the sense that he's beholden to them, and certainly not in the sense that the Greeks and barbarians have given something to Paul, but in the sense that Paul is in possession of something That's theirs. He's like a messenger. He's like a carrier to them. Now, the New Testament works in this way in a lot of ways. It tells us that we are indebted to the world because we are in possession of something for them. We are in possession of something that God intended for them. And that is the news that the sin debt is paid and we are to take this news to the world. Now, Our debt to the world, what we owe those without, I think the scripture can classify it in two ways. We owe a debt to the world. Again, the overall umbrella of that debt is the gospel news. But we can think of that debt of the gospel news in two ways. One, we owe a debt to the world of proclamation. We owe it to the world to proclaim the news of Jesus' sacrificial death. God has sent the news to them, to the whole world, and until we deliver it to them, we owe, we the church, owe the world that news. So we owe this debt of proclamation, but we also owe a debt of authentication. That means that we owe the world an authentication, a validation, a confirmation. And the confirmation that we owe them is this. Jesus Christ is creating a new humanity. This is what he did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We are a new humanity. The old humanity in Adam is ruined. Ruined by sin. Jesus is recreating a new humanity with him as the head. So we are the new humanity. All this is part of this gospel news that we owe the world. We are the new humanity 
that Jesus is creating here on earth. But we owe this debt to the world to not only proclaim that, but to authenticate that. And the scriptures teach us repeatedly that we owe to the world a true, valid authentication that we are the genuine new humanity that Jesus is creating here on earth. We see this beginning, this truth, that we are, as the new humanity, we are to be something to the world, and that is an authentic representation of our new life in Christ. This begins all the way back in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. The third commandment comes to us. We know the third commandment to be, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. When we come to the third commandment, the third commandment we will find is not this idea. We tend to think of the third commandment as this injunction against the most severe of vulgar languages, right? That, that one particular phrase that we should never say. And it's true, we should never say that. But that's not what the third commandment's about. The third commandment is not about a vulgarity. The third commandment is about living authentically as the people of God. We can just look at the wording of the commandment. There's three words here that help us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let's look at that word vain. Vain means worthless, fruitless, false, faulty, wrong. So wrong or worthless or faulty. Name. Let's look at that word. Name. We tend to think of name as just the word that we answer to. However, in the Old Testament, name meant a whole lot more than just the word you were called. It meant something closer to renown or reputation. We still kind of use it that way, right? We'll talk about so-and-so has a good name in the community. We still kind of use it that way. However, in the Old Testament, that was the dominant way to think of name was renown, reputation, how I am known, what I am known by. Now, the third word would be take. Take literally means to lift up. So literally what the commandment is saying is you shall not lift up the renown, the reputation of the Lord your God in a way that's false and worthless. So what God is saying to us, if you're going to take the name of Christian, you better be one. If you're going to go by that name, if you're going to take his name, Christian, little Christ, which is literally what Christian means, if you're going to call yourself a little Christ, you had best be one. You had best live like one. That's what the commandment's all about. So it begins all the way back from the, from the third commandment to say to us, God is very much concerned with how his people live, that his people live authentically in a way that validates their new identity in Christ. So we see it begin there, but we see it expand throughout the, throughout the Scriptures. So now let's kind of pause right there, and I want to jump over and say, well, how is it that the Scriptures tell us that we are under obligation to authenticate the name of God, to authenticate, more specifically, the new humanity that God is making us to be? How do the Scriptures say specifically that we are to authenticate that? And that's where we're really kind of getting to the nub of what is our debt to the world? So there's three ways that really stand out to me that the scriptures say to us 
This is how you, as God's people, are to authenticate your new humanity, your new life in Christ. Number one, a life of genuine holiness. A life of true and genuine, lived-out holiness. The scriptures will say to us, in many places, things like, to the effect of a life of holiness lived before the world serves to glorify God or serves to be a light to the world. You know, the, that, that sort of paraphrasing there shows up many times in the scriptures. For example, Philippians chapter 1, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to both will and work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and or disputing that... You may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So look at the two concepts there. There's the concept of holiness, blameless, without blemish, innocent. And then it's contrasted against crooked and twisted generation. There's this dark, twisted, crooked generation, and you are to contrast that with your blemishlessness of life, with your blamelessness of life. Why? among whom you shine as lights in the world. So there's this theme here of of light, of illumination, of contrasting light to darkness. And God says, you are to live in a blameless way. You are to live in a holy way so as to contrast yourself against a crooked and twisted generation. Or look at 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a theme that we see. God desires glory to be given Him by unbelievers. As a result of the unbelievers seeing a blamelessness in our life, or seeing a holiness in our life, or seeing an authentic, genuine righteousness lived out in our life. God desires that unbelievers, even though they don't know Him, would see that and give Him glory. Or Jesus' words in Matthew 5, we know these words about setting your light on a hill. You are a city on a hill. Nobody takes their light and hides it under a bush. And so, therefore, let your good deeds be done before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We see the same sort of theme happen over and over. We are to live our life in such a way that the unbelieving world around us will see these things and will give glory to God or at least will recognize a true and genuine contrast so that we are then authenticating or validating our true identity. How does this happen? What happens when we authenticate our true identity? When we authenticate this true identity, what we are doing is we are proving what we say to be is who we really are. That's what this authentication is all about. We're proving who we say to be is who we truly are. Now, we live in a world, don't we, that that just is crazy about authentication now. We just have to authenticate all over the place. Passwords, and I mean, we're constantly being asked, are you really, truly who you say you are? And so we've got passwords and thumbprints on our phones and all kinds of ways to authenticate ourselves because we need to be able to show that we really are who we say we are. This past week, I had to call my bank. And you know what that's like, calling your bank. And how you got to authenticate yourself and everything. So I'm here on the phone trying to authenticate myself. So that so I verify my address. 
the amount and the date of my most recent deposit and my full social security number, not just the last four, my full social security number. And then the person says, okay, you've, you've authenticated. Now I need to send you a text and you tell me what the code is. I'm like, was that not enough? Was my full social security number not authentication? That's like the supreme authentication, right? But that's the world we live in. We constantly need to be able to say, here's proof that I am who I say I am. We must authenticate to the world that we are who we say we are. And the first way that the scriptures hold out to us is you need to be a contrast. You need to not be a blend. You need to be a contrast. Because light doesn't blend with dark. Light contrasts dark. Holiness doesn't blend with twisted generations. Holiness contrasts twisted generations. Here we have before us one reason, and we need to snatch this up because we don't get many of these. One reason to praise God for the times in which we live. Am I right? That not many of these come along. We live in some crazy times. But here's one reason for us to praise God for the times in which we live. Because the times in which we live make it very easy to contrast. My parents' generation grew up in the 1950s. And in the 1950s, for the most part, the values of the church were affirmed by society. For the most part, what the church believed, the larger society sort of went along with and said, we think those are good things too. We think it's good to be faithful to your wife. We think it's good to, to for a, a home to have two parents. We think it's good for uh, people to tell the truth. We think it's good not to steal, etc., etc. That made it much harder to contrast with the lost world because just because the world agrees with your Christian values does not mean that they are part of the new humanity. We live in times that make it easier for us to contrast. So this is the first thing the scriptures say to us. This is your debt that we owe to the world. This debt of authentication. We owe it. We've been given a message that's the message to the world. And we owe the world the authentication that the message is true, the message is valid, and we have received it, and we have been changed. 